You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Ah, yes, the thrill and the adrenaline is going. We're back on air. Jason uh, Pine, our man from Sky Sports New Zealand. Kia Ora, my friend. How are you? It's great to see you and you, Josh. We've we've uh, got to turn him on. (laughs) There he is. Kia Ora. Kia ora, am I am I on? Am I, you am are, I audible? You are. You're audible. You're you're way in front of the rest of the pack. Is all I can say. What a joy <laughs> to have you on FNR again. Uh, so many things to talk about, uh, New Zealand wise. So much to talk about, Wellington Phoenix. Uh, I want to talk about your ferns. I want to talk about this fantastic um, Melbourne City girl called um, Young Stotty. Uh, mm. Lo and behold, she's back after a little bit of. Um, um, a break from the game. She had a more important job to mm. do, and that was look after herself. You know who we're talking about. Tell us, Jason. Yeah, Rebecca Stott. I mean, what a what a story, guys. You know, a year ago, it was only a year ago, she was diagnosed with stage three Hodgkin's lymphoma. I mean, that's blood cancer. Yeah. You know, that is not a that is not a uh, a mild condition. That is a serious condition. She was at Brighton and Hove Albion at the time, of course, and had to leave that club uh, in order to start her. Uh, her chemotherapy, yeah, yeah, yeah. rehab, and, and it was aggressive chemotherapy that she undertook as well. She came uh, back to Melbourne to um, to do that, mm. uh, underwent uh, a number of sessions of chemotherapy, which was, as I say, very aggressive. Uh, she lost her hair. Yeah. She um, she suffered the, the side effects, but the chemotherapy worked um, so well, in fact, that she, um, she actually um, was in complete remission one session of chemotherapy um, early, so wow. she didn't have to do the last one. She was in full remission, and then it was a matter of getting herself back um, match fit. Uh, turned out for a, a state league side, and then joined Melbourne City, of course. And then the call up to the football ferns. I mean, obviously the timing uh, last year was terrible in terms of the Olympic Games. Yep. She couldn't play for the ferns at the Olympic Games, but she earned her recall for the recent She Believes Cup and um, and took the field in the first game off the bench. And it was a very emotional time, you know. Here's a Here's a, um, you know, a player and a, and a human being who's been through something that, you know, touch wood, most of us won't ever have to. Uh, but she's come through it. She stared down a, a pretty big monster, beaten it, and uh, back out she went. So it was a, uh, a story that reverberated around the world, and we're just delighted to see uh, Rebecca Stott back out there. Jason, I'm absolutely blown away by her this season, her performances for, for City. I was, I was coming in thinking it's a bonus if she can even get on the pitch. Yep. Like, you know, this is such a great story regardless, but she's bossed the midfield. She's switched positions uh, to a position where you'd assume would involve even more running, but she's this deep-lying playmaker, Andrea Pirlo type, running this show in the centre of the park. It's smart. It's unbelievable. Smart, says Jason. Astonishing. Yeah, yeah and, and she well, she's been around for a while now, right, yeah. guys? So she's she a knows champ. how to play she's the game. She's a champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolute champion. And but you're right, Josh. I mean, you know, to come back and to not only take the field but to but to be a standout in games and she was for the football ferns as well. She came off the bench, as I say, in all three of the games and and made a difference every single time in that deep lying role, that midfield role. We're used to seeing her at centre back. She's played a lot of football at centre back mm. for club and country. But um, just her ability to, you know, to receive a pass, to look up, to play a pass, just to be that fulcrum at the base of, of New Zealand's midfield may well be where we see her play over the next mm. um, year to 18 months as we head towards the World Cup. But just to see her back out there, you know, it was just um, – and, and that smile, you know, mm. that smile – 
that uh, had been absent for a while. Um, great to see it back. Great to see her back. Uh, Jason Pine is our guest on State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Uh, Jason, you're a pro. You've watched her compete on many occasions. You've watched a number of great stories over the years because New Zealand has this fantastic ability to throw up champions left, right and centre. How has she been received by the football-loving public of New Zealand as, as she made her first moment back to the, to the Ferns? Oh, as you can probably imagine, George, with um, with huge excitement and, and huge admiration mm. for what she'd done. And, and I think, you know, it's funny, a, a lot of people in football circles knew about Stoddy's illness and knew, that, knew about her battle to, to beat it. But uh, I think the wider New Zealand public weren't aware of the story necessarily, the full story, until she earned a recall to the Football Ferns. And then that story was told and people were like, Oh my goodness! This player <laughs> is amazing. She's this human being is amazing. She has, you know, beaten an incredibly um, serious disease to not only beat it and get into remission, but to get back out and play, play, you know, high level sports. So yeah, it was greeted with with huge admiration, excitement, and um and great positivity, as you'd probably imagine. Now they say in sport, with every high, there's there's a low. And uh, you've had a, a horror moment for one of your defenders. I, I don't want to drag it out too much, but give us a sense. You know, normally if you have if you if you're a defender and you cop an own goal, mm. uh, that's that's part of, that's part of football. It happens, yeah, and can can happen. But we've actually had a player. Um, I won't say responsible for three. The misfortune, uh, the misfortune of the of goal three. being attached to her name three times yeah. in, in one match. Is that is that fair, or is are we being way too too tough? No, you're being fair. No, she she scored three own goals. <laughs> There's no other way to look at it. She she and and I mean the the one of the bigger ironies, and I'm sure this hasn't escaped your attention, is it was a perfect hat trick of own goals: <laughs> a left footer, a right footer, and a header. <laughs> Uh, which you know just adds to the adds to the legacy of this quite remarkable, um, you know I was going to say feat, but it's not really a feat. It's nothing, you know. It's, if you'd said to Michaela Moore, "You're going to score a hat trick against the United States," that would have been beyond her wildest dreams. Mm. But this this was the stuff of nightmares, absolute nightmares. And and really, apart from the second one, the second one has come across. It's flicked off an attacker, hit Michaela Moore in the head, and gone in. Nothing you can do. No player could do anything. They couldn't react in time. It's basically hit her in the head and gone in. The other ones, though, the first one, she's she sliced across into her own net. And the third one, the ball's come across the six-yard box and she's just got her body in the wrong position. And and um, and instead of hacking it away, it's hacked it into the back of the net. It was I could not believe what I was seeing. I was calling the game for Sky. And you're right, guys. You know, I mean, everyone, everyone who's played football scored an own goal. Correct. I don't care who you are. You yep. know, you, you, you find yourself on the wrong end of that. To score two is is less common, but not completely unheard of. But I have never, ever seen a player score three own goals, not only in a in a game, but in a half. It was within 40 minutes. It was just quite extraordinary. And as we know, she was she was taken off shortly afterwards. There was a bit of debate about whether the right thing to do was to leave her on until halftime to save her further embarrassment by by giving her the hook before halftime had even arrived. But by that stage, it was obvious her head had just gone. And, um, you know, the most unfortunate of days for Michaela Moore on the occasion as well, of her 50th cap. Wow. So, it, it, you know, it could not have gone worse for her.
Does she get to keep the match ball afterwards? <laughs> yeah, nice one, Josh. Yeah, I'd, oh, had that, I'd had that, that question as well. Yeah, oh. signed, by, signed by the opposition, perhaps. Um, oh. Yeah, look, I, and I, I think what, what has been pleasing in the aftermath of it is, yes, of course, it's the kind of story that goes viral because mm, yep. a hat-trick of own goals, no, I mean, it can't. never happens, right? So, so it's had, you know, millions of views around the world, but... The football um, family and certainly the New Zealand team have wrapped their arms around Michaela Moore. I understand she um, pretty much uh, deleted all her social media mm. just to separate herself from it. Yeah, I think so. She's gone back to Liverpool now, and I see a number of the, their players have have shown their support through um, you know through various means. Look, it's of course she doesn't want it to happen, you know. But um, but look, if if the upside of it, if the trade off is that she scores a hat trick or even a goal against the United States at the right end in the World Cup next year, then it'll all be worth it. Bloody hell. <laughs> I guess she joins the uh, the Martin Palermo Hall of Fame. Oh. Do you remember the Argentina player who missed three penalties in a match? Yes. The worst hat tricks. Uh, but uh, I guess consolation for her, these things go viral very quickly and she's the centre of attention for about a day or two and then give it a couple of weeks, everyone will have forgotten about it. You move on with your life. So uh, it's just, just something that is just too... Uh, it's just too weird not to pay attention to. I feel a little bit bad about <laughs> Well, I was going to say uh, black cats, but I, I don't want to talk about black cats. I don't want to talk about anything black because uh, anytime you mention black, it's a winning team. It's the all blacks. <laughs> and, and as I think you and I have touched on, I actually am old enough to remember when Kenny Wright was the 5'8 for Australia's Wallabies at Eden Park. And they absolutely cruise past a very good New Zealand All Black side, but it was it was almost a century ago. <laughs> yes, I, well, I'm, but uh, it is good though, George, that you always bring it up. <laughs> I think that's key. I think that's crucial that you always oh, remind us. Yeah. Well, Mead, Mead, uh, Colin Mead uh, kept reminding me that, um, and uh, Kirkpatrick kept reminding me they they always had a hand on Kenny Catchpole whenever they needed it too. Great, the great Kenny Catchpole. You've lost he, me, George. No, no, we're, ta- <laughs> we're going back into the into the archives now. There was a fa- fabulous halfback for Australia in the days when the Wallabies were a seriously talented football team. His name was Kenny Catchpole. Played for the Galloping Greens, Randwick, and of course played against the Almighty All Blacks. And uh, uh, Mead and Kirkpatrick, two of the roughest, toughest mm. footballers, forwards of their day. In fact, they are. I think they've, they've, there are a couple of monuments that hold up one of the bridges in New Zealand, aren't they? They're, they're, they're like that, that big. Yeah. They've got, they've they're, got, well, they're well regarded. Yeah, yes, yeah. Absolutely. They've got tree trunk thighs. It's, it's scary stuff. And they grabbed him uh, the side of a ruck and one turned to the other and said, meet you on the other side. And almost, almost finished his football career Jeez. then and there. It was scary stuff. But they were, it was a different game. It was a different era. Uh, but they still had this passion to, to not be beaten by anybody. And that New Zealand streak, it, you, it's in there. It's deep in the – it's like in the water, Jason, because Wellington, the Phoenix, come back home and play and they lift a leg. You see them. Whether it's the, the people taking off all their tops and running around doing crazy things. Oh, by the way, we actually had a streaker at Amy Park the other night. I don't yeah, think it I was a Wellington this. Phoenix tribute. But he, but, he, but he streaked with his clothes on and then proceeded yeah. to try and jump the fence and then crashed into it. That was not special. <laughs> so he's not really a streaker at all, is no, he? He's, he's, just, no. he's, sort of a, just, he's, he's just a ground invader. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jason, You can't even get that right. But, 
<laughs> Let's get back to the football. Uh, this football fern side, I mean, the, the sideshow of the own goals aside, uh, just how well are they preparing for the, for this Home World Cup? Because we keep talking about our Home World Cup. I think everyone's forgotten it's yours mm. as well. Mm. Yeah, look, um, to, not to put too fine a point on it, they'll be disappointed with what happened at the She Believes Cup. You know, they were beaten, well beaten by the United States. But, I mean, there's no... Um, there's no crime in that. They're a very good team, as we all know. They they haven't lost at home for goodness only knows how long. Um, but in the other two games against Iceland and the Czech Republic, I just thought New Zealand were a bit toothless in attack. Mm. Uh, I think they created mm. very little. They didn't score a goal in the three games, so that, that tells you something. But really, guys, they didn't look like constantly threatening the opposition goal either with and and when you've got players like Hannah Wilkinson who we know has been playing so well for Melbourne City you know got five in a game not that long ago was was basically really ineffective um any chances that New Zealand had kind of came from uh you know from from pacey players trying to get down the you know down the flanks and get get balls Mm. into the area uh which kind of all fizzled out really so I think an attack Yitka Klimkova the coach has got a bit of work to do she has to decide whether the players she has at the moment are the ones to take the team through to next year or whether she has to start blooding some some others. Defensively, they're okay. You know, as you say, notwithstanding the hat-trick of own goals and shipping five against the US, they're actually okay defensively, reasonably solid. Um, you know, so they won't get, they won't, you know, typically get uh, run over by sides. But to progress in a tournament, mm. as you guys know, you need Good to score school. goals. Mm. Yeah, and, and at the moment, they don't look like scoring regularly when they go out, you know, they, they just don't seem to have a cutting edge that is, that is necessary in a, in a tournament as big as the one that's coming up. Is there a youngster in the, in the background that could, that could just reappear, sorry, just appear, just jump out of the, the, uh, the woods? Well, I'll tell you who I really like, and you may have seen her playing for the Wellington Phoenix women's side is a young girl called Alyssa Winham. Mm. Now, she's basically come from nowhere, really. She wasn't, I think you might have heard this story, wasn't even in the Wellington Phoenix women's squad when it was initially named. Coach Gemma Lewis rang Alyssa Winham and said, hey, Alyssa, I know you've been in the mix, but unfortunately, we haven't got a place for you. But then there came up the opportunity to have a couple of scholarship players join the team, Uh and Alyssa Winham was one of those. And it's turned out she's played um, pretty much every game. In fact, she started... Uh, the last 10 or 11 games and has been terrific. She's not an out-and-out striker. She's not number nine, mm. but she's a she's a very, very clever attacking midfielder. And if you're looking for ways to unlock opposition defences, she's got great feet, guys. You know, she's got wonderful little uh, skill and the ability to get away from people. Doesn't look that quick, but gets away from people and, and can set things up. So if I'm Yetka Klimkova, I'm kind of taking a punt on Alyssa Winham. Mm. I'm saying that we haven't got a player like you we haven't got really a, a an attacking number ten like you. Mm. Let's get you into the camp. Let's you know. Let's let's work with you for a year, and who knows what you might produce uh, when the World Cup rolls around. Because other than that, guys, you look around at the players playing professionally around the world, and there isn't anybody coming through like that. There just isn't, unless they've escaped everybody's attention. Because the players who are playing professionally have pretty much been mopped up by this side. They're playing in the side, but they just don't at the moment have the ability to unlock opposition defences. You were looking for someone who could surprise George. I think mm. Alyssa Winham surprised herself a few weeks ago when she scored that goal against Brisbane Raw. She, she was she was stunned, sort of <laughs> agape, <laughs> of hands to her mouth. Yeah. It was such a great moment. 
Delightful, yeah. I mean, look, I mean, it, it, I mean, if you and I scored, Josh, we'd be very, very surprised. But um, you know, Alyssa Wynnum is a she's a professional footballer. You'd, you'd think that you know that she wouldn't be that that taken aback by the fact she'd score. But it was a lovely moment, right? Yeah. And and as I say, she's she's just a kid. They all are in that team. But yeah, the um the kind of um unbridled emotion was really, really quite endearing. I thought. Uh, the public they starting to get excited about uh, a, a women's World Cup down under. I think they are, George. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, we, well, in fact, tomorrow the the um, the women's cricket World Cup starts in New Zealand, uh, the fifty over World Cup. So that's the first of of three big women's tournaments. We've got the um, the women's rugby World Cup later in the year, and then of course the big one, the football World Cup, co-hosting with Australia in the middle of next year. So it's a really quite a cool time for for women's sport over here. And I know the tournaments are going to try and bounce off one another to you know to to take lessons and and look we all know how big a FIFA World Cup is we know what the the FIFA machine is like when it when it cranks into gear and and look you know I wouldn't say that in you know in March of 2022 we're we're absolutely frothing for for June of next year to roll around but there is excitement there and it will only build as the um as the tournament gets closer. How about some of your men's players playing over in Europe? We've been getting ahead of ourselves and excited because Christian Volpato scored a goal in Serie A. But meanwhile, Libby Kikachi is making inroads at Empoli and looked to have a pretty good game for himself against Juventus over the weekend. Yeah, I mean, this is another cool story, isn't it? You know, he, he's um, he's always um, been a player, you know, in the A-League who you thought, you know what, he's got a bit about him, this kid. And mm. in his final season at the Phoenix, he was, you know, he was, I think by all accounts, from all observers, the best left back going around. Uh, spent time in Belgium, where he he became a European professional and learnt what that meant. But he's always targeted Serie A, and for Empoli to come in for him in the um, in the transfer window, uh, the way the deal is structured, if Empoli stay in Serie A, his loan deal becomes a three-year deal. So all they've got to do is stay up, and they're mid-table at the moment. They shouldn't have too many problems with that. So he'll become an Empoli player um, at the end of this season. And you know, for a kid, I'm again. I'm sure I've told you this story. His his um his dad owns a, a very popular restaurant in Wellington, and it's an Italian restaurant. That won't surprise you. <laughs> and a lot of the Phoenix boys used to go in there um, many years ago. The likes of Andrew Durante, Vince Lee, Glenn Moss would go in there. And Libby's dad, Antonio Cacacci, would say to these guys, "Hey, I've got a my my son's a you know a good a, a good young player." <laughs> Libby was about nine or ten at this stage, and and so. Dura and Vinny and Mossy would, you know, nod politely, and then they go outside and go, "Man, I wish that guy would stop bloody talking about his son." You know, <laughs> and then, and then, fast forward a few years, and who should turn up in the um, in the Wellington Phoenix changing room but Libby Kikachi in his school uniform because he was still at school when he signed pro, and sitting next to Dura, and Dura would say, "Oh, maybe the, maybe your old man was right after all," and it has proven to be the case. So it's a great story, and he's a he's a great kid. He's a really great kid. Um, from a from a wonderful family, and you know, I, I just just wish only good things for Libby Kakachi. Sapreet Singh, meanwhile, Bundesliga two on loan uh, from Bayern Munich, uh, and he's been turning some heads, uh, you know, among people who watch this via Bundesliga at least. Yeah, uh, Regensburg is where he is, and uh, I, I think he he had a, re- a really difficult loan spell at Nuremberg um, the first time he went out on loan from Bayern Munich. Didn't work out from at all. Um, went back to his parent club and now at Regensburg he's getting games and, and is doing well. He's got a bit of a niggle at the moment, which I understand is going to keep him out of um, of the Oceania World Cup qualifiers for New Zealand at the back end of March. Um, won't be a, I, I, don't, I mean, it's a loss, obviously, but 
um, New Zealand should still be able to negotiate that okay without him as long as he's around for for what hopefully will be an intercontinental playoff. That's what I was going to clarify. He's okay for the for the intercontinental playoff, right? Yeah, well, I mean, that, yeah, that's in June. So let's hope so, Josh. I mean, um, yeah, I, I think playing five games in 11 days or whatever it is, or even even three games in, in eight days, which is what the window is, um, mm. would have been probably just pushing it a bit. So if the trade-off is you get him for June, you take him for June. Because in all honesty, New Zealand shouldn't need Sarpreet Singh to to account for the likes of New Caledonia, Fiji and Tahiti. Mm. Um, you know, and I don't think that's being arrogant. I just think it's the state of, of, of where we are in Oceania. Every player in the New Zealand side is a professional um, and there are no players playing professionally in the other island side. So back to Sarpreet, he's doing well. He, um, he looked good um, in the All-Whites games he played um, at the back end of last year and the start of this. And, and he's the only, you know, I talked before about how the Ferns don't have a number 10. Sarpreet is the only pure number 10 mm. that New Zealand has. He's the only guy to get in that pocket between midfield and defence, facing in the right direction and playing those balls into the likes of, of Chris Wood and, yeah, and others. Say. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's really important for New Zealand that he is available for the big, big games. You mentioned Woody. Um, he's, he's had a fantastic step up uh, to Newcastle. And uh, how the, the coach of Newcastle appears to like having a target man of that calibre, and he's a big unit. Yeah, massive guy. And, how how and big is he? Is he six four, six five? I don't think he's quite six five. He'd be he'd be sort of six three, six four, but Ooh. he's but he's solid as sure, well. Yeah. With it, he's not. Yeah, he's not your Peter Crouch type. He's he's solid, um, and he's he's a genuine number nine, and and makes things difficult for any defender. And I think this is a great move for him. You know, he's tall away at Burnley. Um, double-figure goals in the last four seasons. I mean, not too many players do that and in four consecutive seasons score double-figure goals in the Premier League. So a good move for him. A lot of people are saying, well, you know, what's going to happen when Newcastle's money really kicks in and, and they bring a whole lot of players in? Um, or what happens if they get relegated, which is still a possibility, although they're starting to play a lot better now. Um, I, I just think Chris Wood's coming into a club that's that's on an upward swing. And, you know, for him, he's as I say, he's battled away with Burnley. He's clearly got a pay rise to go to Newcastle. Oh, yeah. And if he, you know, in, in some way, shape or form, helps them to stay in the Premier League and to, you know, and to actually finish the season in, in relatively promising style, then he'll he'll be very popular with those fans. They might have European football to look forward to. You know, he's 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 not getting any younger, Chris Wood. He's not old by any stretch, but he's not you know, he's, he's not going to be around forever. So I think it's a good move for him. And, and we all, obviously, in New Zealand, hope that he um, well, does two things. Does well for Newcastle and stays fit for New Zealand. <laughs> well, you know, if if he plays well for Newcastle now, then he'll solidify his status as a kind of mid-table Premier League striker. And whatever Newcastle spend on their replacement, Correct. I don't think he'll struggle to find another employer in the division if he, if he plays well at Newcastle now. Yeah, good point. Really good point. Yeah. Let's talk A-League. Uh, let's talk about the Phoenix. What have you made their season thus far with all the complications and with all the disruption that uh, the season has uh, has taken? Because I, I spoke to Tony Sage from Perth Glory last night. They played Melbourne City and finished 2-2. Uh, but he was, telling, he was busy telling me all night just how many um, problems they've had to endure how many uh, closed doors they had with, uh, with the, um, the state of uh, WA. And King McGowan, of course, uh, rules, rules uh, uh, you know, principality uh, just as he wants. Thank you very much. And it's been very, very difficult. How, how has Phoenix, in your eyes, been coping? Yeah, um, first of all, I've got to say, I really feel for Perth glory. You know, I mean, they, they have had 
a heck of a ride, you know, and, and we all hope that it'll finish soon. They'll get back home and we know how much they love their football over there. The Perth Glory supporters, hopefully they can get to play some games over there and, 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 and Daniel Sturridge gets fit and he can play a bit as well. I think with the Phoenix, they've almost now got used to the fact that they have to play in Australia. You know, the, this is their third season during which they've had to play a significant portion, if not all of it, on your side of the ditch. And they've kind of just got used to it now. Um, but having said that, they were pretty terrible um, for a large period of the first part of the season. The Phoenix always seemed to start badly. They they gave us a bit of hope at the start of this season. They had a win and a draw, and all of a sudden, after two games, they're up near the top of the league. But then they kind of fell down and yeah. lost a few games, and they, they lost 4-0 to Adelaide United on New Year's Day, and they were if not rock bottom, they were certainly 11th and, and going in the wrong direction. But since then, they've won four and drawn two of their last six games unbeaten at a, at a nice little um, FFA Cup run, including those penalty uh, shootout heroics from uh, reserve goalkeeper Alex Paulson. And all of a sudden now, they're just sort of sitting in and around the top six with quite a few games in hand and and a pretty good first 11. So... Look, I'm not saying they're going to, you know, they're going to go on and win the A League, but but I think they've got every chance, as most teams actually have at the moment, of, of being in the top six. So they can continue this form. They've been really, really good in a couple of their games. They've they've been well worth the victories that they have picked up. They've brought in a couple of good imports in Gail Sandoval and Scott Wooten. And look, I think they've they've been a lot better. They were, as I say, guys, they were they were pretty average um, for large parts of the first five or six games, but they've been pretty good for most of the last six. Uh, he's a tough judge normally, but he's very honest. Jason Pine from Sky Sports New Zealand has been our very special guest on FNR State of Our Football Nation. Uh, Jason, thank you very, very much. Uh, continue doing what you're doing, and that is just providing excellent coverage for all the sports. I noticed you weren't doing the cricket in the last couple of days. Uh, what happened there just before, before you go? What, what happened? You had South Africa right where you wanted them. Yeah, um, unfortunately, um, they slipped away from us. Yeah, I mean, a, uh, a tale of two test matches. We all wow. we thought we've, we've never beaten South Africa in a test series. And I still haven't. I was going to uh, say, still haven't. Yeah. <laughs> still haven't. So um, maybe we've got to wait for the next time. But right. um, yeah, it, it just didn't go our way, George. But as I say, if that means that we do well at the at the Women's World Cup, then I'm I'm happy to do the trade off. He's buying it. He's buying it. Thank you, Jason. Awesome stuff. Thank you. Great to chat, guys. See you later. We'll take a break. Back with more in just a moment. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. We're back. State of Our Football Nation here on FNR Football Nation Radio. Josh Parrish and George Danikian with you. And we're going to take a little trip to New South Wales after our Kiwi adventure before the break. Tony Tannis is a commentator for... Uh, football New South Wales and the league kicking off tomorrow night as Mount Druitt Town Rangers take on Arpia Leichhardt. Tony, welcome to the program. Yeah, great to be here, George and Josh. Great to see you both. Uh, really looking forward to the season, obviously, kicking off tomorrow. We're sort of a couple of weeks behind you guys in Melbourne, but yeah, very geared up and, and looking forward to bumper 2022, hopefully a season that we can actually complete after two rather interrupted uh, campaigns back-to-back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the big theme for me this season has been the looming National Second Division, a prospect Correct. for many of the clubs in Victoria. Same goes for New South Wales. And I think in Victoria, we've seen a real arms race when it comes to recruitment and oh. clubs stepping up their game, wanting to make the best impression, put their best foot forward. Have we seen that trend in New South Wales as well? 
Yeah, undoubtedly. I think obviously we saw the great news last week, uh, you know, the report and obviously the 30 clubs, uh, six of which are from New South Wales. So, you know, six of the big guns and obviously they're all sort of stepping up their game. You can see the investment that they've made in their squad, not just not just on the park as well. You can start to see the movement behind the scenes. They're sort of beefing up their football departments and um, yeah, I think it's fantastic to see. I think this is what we've sort of been, you know, clamouring for, that gap between A-League and NPL and the opportunity that the National Second Division will provide to sort of bridge that gap. And we, we certainly are starting to see that. It's, it's a very exciting time. Obviously, as I said, six clubs uh, from New South Wales, Marconi, you know, Sydney Olympic, a couple of the Great uh, NSL clubs and, and Sydney United, uh, 58's another of those. We've also got the Wollongong Wolves, you know, national champions a couple of times. Uh, and then Apia and Rockdale are the six. So, you know, they're, they're all definitely keen to, I guess, this season's really important after two interrupted seasons because of COVID and maybe clubs across the NPL probably slipped back a little bit. I thought the standard a couple of years ago prior to the COVID lockdowns was really lifting right across the NPLs. I thought New South Wales levels, that gap between A-League and, and NPL was really being bridged by the quality that the clubs were, you know, sort of putting in. I think COVID sort of set them back a little bit, obviously Agreed. the semi-professional clubs. Agreed. Agreed. So this season is very much an opportunity to reboot and sort of, re, um, you know, reignite those, those ambitions to become semi-professional potentially leading towards professionalism, which we all know we need more than, you know, so we need to build the volume of professional clubs across the country to give our game the future, you know, sort of the best shot in the future. So really important time for the game and, and it's great to see the clubs sort of stepping up to the plate. Uh, Tony, a couple of years ago, as you touched on, uh, we had a club show here. It was the Arpia Club Show and we got a chance regularly throughout that season to, to follow uh, Arpia's pursuit for another title. And and as it was recorded, they did. They, they made it uh, in front of a terrific uh, uh, set of fans at Bank West. In fact, I think they broke the ice. They uh, launched uh, Bank West Stadium, this beautiful new facility um, that uh, has been redeveloped in that area that Parramatta desperately needed. Um, are we going to see Arpia really, you know, flex its muscle and also its experience? Yeah, well, certainly they're one of the clubs that feel that they need to sort of step it up after probably a couple of seasons after coming off that 2019 championship, you know, sort of very euphoric, amazing, amazing occasion at, at, at Parramatta Stadium. And then and then probably, you know, the results haven't quite been what they wanted in the last couple of years. Maybe the fact that, you know, sort of it, it's been that COVID interruption as well. They haven't quite invested. Well, they've got Daniel Cummins, you know, who they had a lot of success with in the past, um, you know, a, a fantastic coach. He's one of only two changes in the coaching situation. There's a lot of stability across the NPL, New South Wales. But Arpia have brought Daniel Cummins back in and their issues last year were not so much um, from a defensive point of view. Their issues were in a in attack, they, Front. you know, sort of had the fourth best defence across the league, but they finished eighth. Uh, you know, obviously the season was cut short in July, but Arpia's issues were very much in front of goals, 17 goals, um, sorry, 20 goals across these 17 games. So, you know, very, um, you know, very poor in that area. So 
Jason Romero, who you guys would have seen in the FFA Cup, you know, sort of do some fantastic mm. things against the West Sydney Wanderers, really toyed with the Wanderers um, over at Leichhardt Oval. Another one to keep an eye on is Matty, Matt Kale, who's had a bit, of, a bit of injury in the preseason. I think he injured himself in, in one, of, one of the FFA Cup games over in Canberra. Um, but he's a former Central Coast Mariners um, striker. So there are a couple, certainly, um, you know, to keep an eye out on. I think they've got some good youngsters that have come in as well, Fabian Monge and Walter Scott, who have both had A-League Academy um, experience. So keep an eye on those youngsters along with Yanni Nikolaus. So, you know, Apia, they've got their experienced core and they're trying to build this new blend of players into the squad. Certainly one of those in the mix, um, but they have to prove that they can gel. So that's that's the challenge for Apia, I think, this season. Sydney Olympic have signed one of the most high-profile players in the whole competition, Roy O'Donovan. Of course, lit up the A-League for many seasons, uh, also served many suspensions. <laughs> What's he going to bring to Sydney Olympic this season? Yeah, I think they're probably, like like Arpia, very much the same story for them. So defensively, they were they were fantastic, I thought. You know, sort of the third best defence in the competition last year. Their issue was in front of goals. They had a bunch of youngsters, the likes of, you know, sort of Marley Peterson, Ollie Pufflett. You saw Adam Parkhouse against Sydney FC in the FFA Cup. He was outstanding. But O'Donovan gives, O'Donovan gives them that experience in the mm-hmm. centre, in that number nine role. So behind him, Brendan Chalakian, who's a fantastic, experienced um, sort of number 10. You know, so you sort of start to see O'Donovan with Chalakian, Adam Parkhouse, and then you've got those younger players, the likes of Peterson and Pufflet, sort of there to support as well. And, and, and you're starting to blend that experience with youth. So I think that's really what Ante Juric has, has looked for, um, mm. you know, that, that experience that he can sort of build the squad. It has been a very young squad. He's had two years of really good rebuild, I think, um, you know, bringing in some youngsters. And the, the defence has not been an issue. It's, it's can they gel and click in that final third. Like for so many clubs, I think last year really highlighted that the – Competition is so competitive. The levels are fantastically spread right across the 12 teams. There's very little in any game between all the sides. And I think that's why it is such a such a top competition. The level spreads right through those 12 um, sides. But the, the difference is that quality in the front third. And I think that's what some of those clubs who the maybe edge. struggled there last year are trying to bring this year. So mm, That's um, the edge. Yeah. I wanted to ask about Manly as well, coached by Adam Griffiths, a uh, famous name from, from A-League seasons past and one of the, the very famous Griffiths brothers. Uh, he's got an experienced general in the middle of the park in Matt Sim, a player I've just adored watching over the years in the, in the MPL and in the A-League as well. Uh, but there's a pretty young team surrounding Sim. Can they do anything special this season? Because we know they did win the title one year. Yeah, I think they're fantastic. So, in fact, it was that... That season where Daniel Cummins was the coach at Arpia 2017, that Manly, you know, sort of got the edge on them in the grand final at Leichhardt Oval. Um, you know, so they have been going through a bit of a rebuilding phase. I thought they were they were fantastic last season, Manly. And I've got them as really, you know, sort of one of the contenders that if the top teams, those, you know, sort of uh, traditional powerhouses slip up, Manly are certainly a side that can push, you know, sort of into that. Last year they, fin- they finished the season when it, when it got cut short. They're in fourth place, and I feel that they've probably tried to add a little bit of creativity, and that's the difference. Uh-huh. They've sort of evolved their team, 
And I'm really excited not only to see Matt Sim, I'm a massive fan of Matt Sim, a fantastic player at Sydney United over the last five years, but two players in particular are fresh faces to the NPL New South Wales. One of them in Christian Santich, spent some time in Melbourne, so yes. you would have seen him a little bit of him, but he's, he, he um, you know, sort of comes from Perth. He spent a lot of time at Perth um, FC, and I, I saw them on a couple of occasions in the NPL finals, and he really caught my eye. Um, a fantastic young player. So Christian Zantich is one to really excite and watch out for. And the other one is a bit of a personal um, fave of mine because I've been calling uh, the New South Wales Football Premier League for the last few years here in, here in uh New South Wales, Bruno Mendes, he's a player with a futsal pedigree, a Brazilian, who sort of, yeah, he just lit up the NPL, sorry, the New South Wales Premier League futsal scene a couple of seasons back um, prior to the COVID disruption, won the golden boot, there's the talk of the futsal scene. And then he started to take that sort of confidence and form into his outdoor game. He was How old sensational is he? at Hakoa. He spent How, a couple of years How old in NPL is he? too. How old is he, Tony? So he's not young. He's 27, but he's bursting into the top flight, so the NPL um, in New South Wales. So he's certainly one to keep an eye out on. Bruno Mendes, I'm you know, very excited to see how he sort of goes throughout the season. Um, and, and, yeah, Manly, Manly is certainly, you know, when you think about those two, you've got Thomas Fay also from Sydney FC, um, an adaptable player. They've got a lot of good quality young players, so... It is, it is an exciting time. And that's what I'm saying about the spread and the quality of the NPL in New South Wales. Every club you look at has an appealing story. I think Christian Santich is a good pick. I, I, I thought when he was in Victoria, had massive Appeal. ability and, mm. and, and a huge ceiling to get to as a, as a player. He's this little attacking midfielder. He's got great touch. Uh, but just the team he was playing in in Victoria was just going through a really rough patch. Uh, Dandy City, they were finding relegation. They were coaching changes and things. They were playing a pretty uh, aggressive and direct t- style of football. Toll. It didn't suit yeah. him. But if if he's in a team that can play the ball to his feet, I, th- I think he can he can really kick on because he's what is he nineteen twenty? He's still very young. Yeah, I think he's probably hit the early twenties, but still, you're, you're, I think he's just got a, a. And Manly are certainly a team under Adam Griffiths that want to play. They're, they're doing mm. up their pitch, I believe. So yeah. um, their pitch has probably been a. Uh, it's one of the synthetic pitches that we've got right across New South Wales. Been a bit bumpy, probably, in, uh, due for a bit of an upgrade, and and so they're doing that. I, I think that's really going to help, and I, and I actually think you know not 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 to discredit anything about the Victorian. League, and we saw that last week. Sometimes the pitches can be a little bit bumpy, more difficult to play on. You know, in New South Wales, we tend to get, you know, sort of a, a little bit more opportunity to keep the ball on the deck at times and play that football. And, and I think that will suit Christian. I, I, I certainly hope so. It'll be an exciting addition to our league here. Has the weather taken a toll on the pitches for the weekend? Yeah, and, and this is this is an interesting sort of ongoing developing story at the moment. I think Marconi was scheduled to take on Sutherland. I got some word midweek that that might be switched around, you know, sort of so Sutherland um, could be hosting there because they do have a synthetic pitch. Um, and the other the other two games that are being played on um, turf pitches uh, tomorrow, their season opener at Mount Truett Town Rangers, um, they're hosting Arpia. I'm not sure there's an opportunity to do swaps there. And, and Belmore Sports Ground on Saturday, Sydney Olympic are hosting Manly. So I guess that'll be a watching brief. Just keep an eye on the NPL and New South Wales socials for any sort of updates on, on those games. But 
The other games are sort of on synthetic. The game that I'm at is on Sunday, which is Sydney United 58 hosting Wollongong in a massive – the rivalry that's developed between these two in the last few years, some massive games. Have Wollongong you got, have really you got a prediction? Shake the status quo. Have you that's got a prediction? So. Have you got a prediction? Oh, I think Sydney United and, – and the reason I say that is Wollongong probably struggled last year. Um, you know, they they – finished seventh, and their, their issues as well, they just couldn't function in the final third. In fact, they had issues right through the even the midfield. So they've made some massive changes. Luke Wilkshire's brought in, brought back Guy Knight and Nick Littler, who were part of that success. Mm. And I think, you know, that will add a lot of stability, that experience for Wollongong. Um, and they've brought in, a, brought in some attackers to sort of join uh, Leroy Jennings and, and um, Lockie Scott. So... You know, they've tried to boost up their, their attack a little bit. Sydney United, their, their stability is, is very impressive. So only two major changes. You mentioned Matt Sim earlier. Um, so probably, yeah, we think about Matt Sim and Josh, uh, Jackson Curry, the only two real, you know, key players that have sort of moved on. And they've been able to replace them with Kyle Cimenti. And a Japanese um, player who is being highly rated and he's certainly one to watch in the NPL New South Wales this season, Kaneko Teisei, um, he, he's certainly one to watch. Uh, there's been a lot of good talk about him in the pre-season at Sydney United, so I'm looking forward to catching him on Sunday. And and I think that stability that Sydney United have, they're at home as well. Um, so Very tough. Very tough at home. They're going to be tough. And, and to me, they're one of the three probably favourites for the title, you know, sort of when you look at the strength. And, and I think Blacktown City, who were who were thereabouts, um, you know, they were top of the table when it finished. Um, Mark, Mark Crittenden is an amazing coach. Um, you know, any – yeah, uh, there's a lot of talk that he could have stepped in, you know, sort of West Sydney Wanderers had so many issues. Mark Crittenden, you know, keeps getting sort of mentioned as – a guy who's just had so much success in the New South Wales competition and probably could do a great job at a higher level. Um, you know, he, he's yeah, he's just got a well-oiled machine, a lot of quality youngsters that are coming through. Um, they were so impressive last year. And so, so I, th- I think they're in the mix as well. And Marconi have recruited amazingly, um, you know. So we talk about front third quality. Sydney United have... Um, you know, Chris Payne, Patrick Antelmi and Kyle Cimenti. Well, Marconi have Charles Lockillian Goy, who <laughs> was on their books before Wellington. I uh, know you had Piney on earlier. Um, before Wellington, took him just before the season a couple of years ago. And it really disrupted their campaign. Well, second time lucky here, Charles Lockillian Goy is going to start the season. And he is certainly one of the exciting signings. So, his partnership with Thomas James, former Wollongong Wolves, Thomas is out injured. You know, he sort of injured himself in pre-season, but when he's back in a few weeks, um, that is going to be, Something you know, an exciting sort of... And, and young Angela Costanzo's young boy, um, you know, Dominic Costanzo from South Australia has joined Marconi too in the attacking third. So he's another one to watch. I think Marconi, you know, they, they've been strong defensively. It's that attack again, 10 draws last year. So... I think, um, you know, those those attackers might be able to shift those games in their favour. That's certainly what Peter Tsikinas is hoping for. Well, that's what I was going to ask you about, the father-son tale of uh, <laughs> Dom Costanzo pulling on the same jersey that his, that his father did in the NSL days. Yeah, amazing. And I, and I, you know, like that was a great generation of uh, sweepers and central defenders, you know, sort of a lot of them still around. So I mentioned Ante Juric earlier. He was in that sort of same generation 
you know, with Angelo battling for spots in the Socceroo lineup. But Angelo was a fantastic sort of, you know, very strong defender. And I was having a bit of a laugh. I watched Marconi pre-season game on the weekend, having a bit of a joke with Dominic, you know, sort of saying, you're a striker. How does that work? You know, your, dad, your dad's a defender. Peter Tsikenis, he was a, a, a tough central midfielder. His, dad, his son Damien's a striker at the Mariners. I don't know, these young boys, they're learning quick, you know, sort of maybe they don't want. But they want the, they want the limelight in the front Correct. third. The spotlight, uh, that's yeah. it. Uh, Tony, uh, we get a chance to catch up with you on Tuesday. Is there a chance to get a review after this big weekend? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm certainly uh, looking forward to catching up on the week's action. Um, you know, hopefully we get we get as many of the games across True. the line. You know, yeah. obviously with the rain, let's see how the situation goes. But yeah, certainly good stuff. Um, keen, right. keen to yeah talk talk at NPL New South Wales. Uh, well, Tony, we really appreciate your time, mate, and uh, we'll catch up with you again at some point next week, uh, assuming that as many of the games go ahead as possible. You've got uh, loads of artificial pitches in New South Wales, so you should be okay. <laughs> now he says, now. Yeah, and I, I actually think it's, you know, I, I know that there's some players don't like it because of the, you know, the difficulty underfoot, et cetera, but it means that games get completed. And the standards of, yeah, like Sydney United built a new one recently, and that, that standard's, you know, international class and, and all the players really like that. Um, I think Manly, as I said, are going to be the next to upgrade. Cronulla's probably juiced and Sutherland Sharks are probably due for an upgrade as well at some point. Gee. So, yeah, I, I think it does allow us to get the games across the line, which is which is fantastic. Tony, we'll catch up with you again soon. Thank you for your, for your preview and we're looking forward to the NPL New South Wales season. Yeah, thanks, George and Josh. Catch up soon. All the best, Tony. Well done. Another guest coming up to join us, uh, Benita Merciades will be with us to talk about uh, so many things in the world of football, uh, some that don't make sense uh, and some that do. Uh, Big opportunity to find out what's happening uh, in just a moment. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR. Uh, Yes, Back on air, George Danikian, along with Josh Parrish. We started the program with Jason Pine. We met via Zoom across the ditch, uh, found out a whole bunch of different things and got a chance to talk about uh, Rebecca Stott, who's just been magnificent, who's had a a personal fight for her health and uh, she's back in football and, more importantly, she's been embraced by the New Zealand public and what a champion she's proving to be. And more importantly, when the Women's World Cup uh, rocks up in Australia and New Zealand next year, in June of next year, I firmly believe, as does Josh, that Rebecca Stott will be in the the Ferns uh, lineup. What do you reckon? I can't imagine she won't be, George. (laughs) The way she's playing at the moment, uh, I think the the team needs her. Melbourne City need her and the Football Ferns need her as well. She's playing so, so well, scheming in the heart of the midfield in both a defensive and an attacking sense. She's proved invaluable this season. Put aside all of the the heartwarming stories and so forth, that aspect of it, she deserves her place just on performance alone. Uh, The other thing I was going to say is uh, she's a tremendous character. Uh, She's won a number of titles at Melbourne City. Um, so she's she understands success. She understands what it takes to win. Uh, someone who's going to join us on air, um, someone who's been right in the middle of the game for an awful long time, 
she's worn a number of different hats. I don't know which one she's wearing tonight. But she joins us via via canoe from <laughs> Sydney and Zoom. Are, are you still afloat, Benita Merciades? Uh, yeah, hi, George. Hi, Joss. <laughs> We're definitely afloat, but it's still raining. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and you're, you've got you've got uh, brother and sister in, in in Brisbane who have had a really tough time as well. Yeah, brother-in-law and sister-in-law. That's right. Yeah, wow. there's a lot of family in Queensland, but they were evacuated from their house in Brisbane. Uh, are we going to see a competition uh, in in the New South Wales NPL this weekend based on uh, the rain forecast? Um. Well, there are a lot of synthetic pitches in New South Wales, so uh-huh. Uh-huh. depending on where the rains fall and where the, all those games are held. Um, probably you'll get some games. Mm. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Now, we've seen so many things happen over the last week. Um, uh, where, do we, where do we begin the conversation? Um, you've been a part of uh, the game uh, at, the, at the very top end in this, in this country. You were part of Football Federation Australia for quite some time. Uh, you know the teams, you know the players, you know the characters involved. Are we slowly making... Uh, incremental progress or are we still struggling to understand that uh, governance, good corporate governance is absolutely key to, to going to the next level in this country? Are we treading water? Yeah, good point. Good one. Gosh, now no one mentioned that you're going to ask me that question. I thought from your perspective, I could yeah. throw you just about any question and you could, you, you've got enough in the tank to, to, to come back. And we've got an opportunity to talk about a number of different things. I want to talk about yeah. um, um, the, the game, short answer the women's game, is, and, and I, on, I think, on it goes. Yeah, I think the short answer to that question are the words that Josh used. We're treading water at the moment. <laughs> um, I, I think that, you know, to suggest uh, uh, there's a lot of positive things about the game and there's a lot of, as we always talk about, there's a lot of potential for the game. Mm. Um, but to be Frank, we've been having these conversations for a couple of decades, not just a couple of years, but a couple of decades. Um, the you know talking about the potential, talking about the participation, talking about the fact that we need to get the costs of the game lowered, um, talking about the professionalism of the major domestic competition, the A League, um, talking about what we do around the, a national second tier. Uh, talking about how to get the women's game and more women, more women involved at a higher level. More I mean, women's games, issues, more women's games uh, too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And all of these issues have been around for so long. And yeah, you do get to the point where you think it's. Uh, I mean, you you almost do get to the point where you think it's not really going to change that much. And and what what will it take for it to change? Well, we've had we've had uh, um, uh, Russia. Uh, you know, step in and uh, do something that very few people saw coming, and that is, they uh, they made sure that when they went into Ukraine, they went with uh, with force, and uh, it's shaken the world. It's certainly shaken Europe, and I've noticed that one of the uh, the most um, amazingly compliant uh, organisations in the world. I'm talking FIFA. Uh, has seen the error of its ways in the past and they've decided to uh, take a stand and they've told all the uh, Russian entities and others that you're, you're, you're not welcome in this game. What have you made of that decision? 
Uh, look, I think um, they, they took a bit long to get to that decision. Yeah, you um, will. But the fact I did that they say, come I did say it, FIFA is a very compliant organisation. They've taken a long time to get there, but they've done it. Yeah, but the, the fact that they have got to it is is something to be, um, you know, welcomed. Yeah. Um, that was the only course of action that they could take. Uh, having said that, you know, what happened as soon as they took that decision, and UEFA also took the same decision because they had to because Russia's part of UEFA. Yep. Um, you know, that immediate, when you've got a, uh, an organisation which has 211 member nations, the immediate question asked of some other nations as well, are we going to do this every time? Mm. Um, and, of course, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of countries have, have had uh, what they would see as being similar circumstances to what Russia's done and sure. is doing in Ukraine. Sure, sure, sure. The Western world went into um, uh, um, Iraq at a time when there were a lot of questions that still needed to be answered, uh, and we didn't see the, the sort of uh, penalties meted out by FIFA and others. So you're right, you're right there is enormous inconsistency. But um, uh, we, we've seen uh, Roman Abramovich, who I suppose started the, 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 the uh, Abramovich or the Roman Revolution, they say, at Chelsea, uh, come out the other day and say he was going to hand the stewardship of his club to uh, a group of uh, charity organisations that he has uh, great faith in. And I thought to myself... First time I've heard the word stewardship used quite like that. Um, were you amazed by that decision from Abramovich, just, or, or was it just smart optics? Well, there was, there's two aspects to that. Um, first of all, it was, is, it was smart. Op- well, I don't even think it was smart optics. <laughs> it was just some window dressing to yep. begin with. Yep. Um, but he's since changed that decision and said that he's going to sell the club uh-huh. and he's going to donate the proceeds of that to those who are fighting in Ukraine. Now, they're also very interesting words um, because at first glance you think, oh, he's doing something good, he's going to help the people of Ukraine. But it's in fact the words where he's helping the people fighting in Ukraine, he doesn't actually say who he's going to help. It could be the Russian side, it could be the Belarusians, or it could could be the Ukrainians. Um, And the other thing is, you know, he's, he's a man who's worth about 14 billion um, pounds, I think it's pounds. It is, it is um, pound or he's euro, selling yeah, the club yeah. for about one and a half. So it's a relatively. It doesn't. Sa- it sounds like an enormous amount of an unimaginable amount of money to most of us, but um, it's not huge on it on the scale that he's operating in. And a lot of people like Roman Abramovich and other oligarchs in Russia have been getting richer and richer while a lot of the rest of the world has struggled, especially over the past two years. Correct. Benita, I also found the uh, vagaries in the statement, uh, net proceeds as well was, 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 the, was the phrase used, not proceeds. So this, this, it's only going to be the profit he makes over what he spent in the club in the first place. And I don't know whether that's also subtracting all the money that he's loaned Chelsea recently or all the money that he's pumped into the club. Because I don't think one and a half billion is barely going to cover it if that's the Correct. case. Correct. I think that's right. And the other aspect of all of this with uh, with people like Abramovich and other oligarchs is most of them have a number of different citizenships. So, for example, while he's Russian, he also has Israeli citizenship and Portuguese citizenship. So I don't think anyone's really asked the question about what uh, Israel and Portugal are doing about that, for example. Um, because, it, you know, I mean, we're getting into non-football things here, but if you're going to really put pressure on mm. 
the oligarchs in in the hope of getting to Putin. That would be another another logical thing to look at. Benita, I also want to go back to the FIFA thing and and talk about. I guess the way that Russia actually used FIFA and has already almost extracted what they need from FIFA in terms of uh, prestige and sports washing during the during the World Cup. I mean, it, it puts uh, Infantino in a very compromised position now because there are just so many photos of him with Putin. They've spent so much time together. More than, it's more than photos, it's video. And I, I think back to the, the opening game of the 2018 World Cup where it's Infantino sat between the two... Uh, leaders of the, the two countries playing against each other, which was Putin on one side and um, and the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia on the other, and you know trying to placate both of them as a Russian goal went in after Russian goal. <laughs> I mean, FIFA's got a history of cozying up, cozying up to these types of dictators, and and Infantino chief amongst uh, those who've who've been guilty of it. Oh, look, it started way before Infantino. Mm. Um, it started with the fact of the bidding process for the 2018 and 2022 World Cups. And let's not forget that Australia is not exactly blameless in that. We we tried very, very hard to do a deal with Russia. Um, and in fact, they just diddled us in the end. But um, we tried hard and we knew what they were like. So those may, who made the decision to award the 2018 World Cup in the first place to Russia are uh, amongst those who must you know, first have blame shot at them. Um, And, you know, unfortunately, one of the downsides of having an international organisation like FIFA, and and, and this is part of the criticism that I have been making for years, is that no attempt has ever been made to bring other nations up to the highest possible standard. It's been about playing at the lowest possible standard. And there is no doubt, in my opinion, that... um, the Russian bid, which won that contest in one vote, one vote amongst four different bidders, um, did so in a corrupt manner. Um, there, in some ways, the highlights—it's never been the spotlight's never really been on them because Qatar won also, and everybody thought that was so shocking. And sure, there we know there are issues around the, the, that as well, but. Um, you know, Russia engaged in the same sort of behaviour and the same sort of activity as most of the bidders in that contest. And that's where it started. Infantino came in as president in 2016. He was faced with having a World Cup in Russia. And yes, you're right. He did what all FIFA presidents have done um, since, since Havelange. And he there's bowed. only been the three of them. And they've, co- they've cozied up to dictators. There's a history of it. FIFA has a history of it. And we've got the Qatar World Cup only months away now. Yes, November it starts. So you can imagine we've got that, and then the next World Cup is the uh, the the, tri, the the tripartite agreement between uh, the United States, Canada, and Mexico. So it, it's getting well. Interesting. No, George, the next World Cup after the twenty twenty two one is in Australia and New Zealand, isn't it? <laughs> Very good. Sorry. <laughs> Very good pickup. Wow, that was yeah. that was nifty. Benita, very good. But Benita, got me right where it does, uh, does it, right between the eyes. You got me, uh, Benita. I, I want to ask you your opinion, and I don't know if there is a right answer to this uh, about you know banning Russia from from participation in FIFA. I think it's been pretty unanimous approval of that decision amongst at least the Western world. 
uh, and you can understand the logic of it. You know, you can, the Russian anthem playing, the Russian flag flying is... It's, is it's, inex- pro- it's propaganda. Yeah, exactly. But uh, now UEFA have banned Russian clubs from participating in European competitions. And, you know, some, one could argue that Spartak Moscow, for example, aren't representing Russia. They're representing, you know, Spartak. Yep. And then uh, there's the case of individual Russian athletes, uh, not only in football, but in sport worldwide. You know, we've got a Australian Open player, champion, Medvedev, players. who's now having his participation question. I, I do wonder where, where we draw the line at, at, you know, targeting teams and targeting individuals. Uh, individuals. Uh, I think anybody who suggests that sport and politics don't mix is living in <laughs> La La fantasy land. land. <laughs> yeah, they, they, ab- they absolutely do mix. And let's be clear, um, under the direction of Vladimir Putin, they have invaded a country for no reason other than the fact that he is trying to recreate the old Soviet Union and mm. he wants that, that land. You know, yeah. From a world perspective, sport has its part to play in putting as maximum pressure on having that decision reversed. Otherwise, the consequences are catastrophic, not just for Europe, but also for the world, because it will go around the rest of the world as well. So I think anything that puts pressure back on ordinary Russians and Russia and allows ordinary Russians to get the decision through to them, that or get the news through to them that what is actually happening, I think, helps. And, the, you know, the, the athletes who are Russians and the Russian teams... Um, they have a role and responsibility in all of this as well, in in making sure that, or in in helping to explain to their people what exactly is happening. Look, it's it's been a, an absolutely whirlwind last couple of weeks, and uh, there are so many things that we've had to address, uh, and we've seen, as you touched, uh, we saw uh, UEFA, we saw FIFA come out and make some uh, interesting comments early on. And everyone kept saying, there's not enough pressure. You've got to do more, got to do more. And sure enough, it's now been the case where we've seen Russia virtually told, you're not going to the World Cup. Yeah, And that was something I didn't imagine I would hear two weeks ago. So that now, we know that unless something quite dramatic happens, I, I put it to you that we will not see, come November, Russia, whether it qualifies or not, in Qatar. And we may... Also, if things get worse, we, I, I dare say we'll make sure that there won't be a Russian team at the Women's World Cup uh, next year. Yeah, and st- if things get worse, that's, that's correct, um, which is, you know, let's hope it doesn't actually yeah, get correct. to the point where that decision has to be made. But at the moment, Russia in, in the women's competition, they're sitting second in their group, I think. Um, and that puts them in a qualifying position because the way it works from UEFA is the the top teams automatically qualify and then there's a playoff for the, the next lot amongst the second teams. But, of course, they won't be play. I presume they won't be playing now. If UEFA's banned them and mm. if FIFA's banned them, but um, they won't be playing in the qualifying phase. Let's see. Benita, last one from me, and this is just me reflecting, I guess, on, on how the, we came to this decision. That was through the boycotts of, of Poland and, and Sweden and the Czech Republic. You said they wouldn't play their, their qualifying playoff matches if they have to face Russia, uh, Poland first and foremost, because they were drawn against them in that, in that sort of semifinal. Uh, but it sort of makes you realise the power of boycotts when it comes to this type of thing. Is, has world football missed the boat on, on boycotting Qatar? Because you know, mm. it could have really changed the, uh, the trajectory of, of what, what's happened there if, if you know, a decade ago countries had stepped up to the plate. 
Uh, I think the issues around Qatar um, are quite complex and it's mm. not as easy to answer in just sort of a very quick response. Um, basically, when it when push comes to shove, mm. despite um, all of the inquiries to date, um, there hasn't been any proof of anything untoward in relation to the Qatar World Cup. And the pressure that was put on around human rights and workers' rights and all of that that started in 2010, 2011, um, basically when there wasn't the change in relation to that decision by, say, 2016, it was always going to be the case that the Qatar World Cup would would proceed Mm. because of the uh, obligations and the the legal commitments that were wrapped up in all all of that and in in terms of the timing. Um, I think... You know, one of the good things that FIFA has done um, in recent years is they've introduced a human rights policy. Um, you talk to experts around that and they'll say, well, but they're not actually doing anything much about their human rights policy, but at least they have one. Beforehand, they didn't even have one. Um, but I do think that there's a lot of people in football and around sport who could have helped put pressure on on FIFA and other de- and decision makers mm. before the decision was made. You know, the only time I've ever seen um, uh, protests of, of, of this calibre um, uh, actually work were the uh, anti-apartheid demonstrations and the protests uh, when South Africa was right in the middle of its, uh, 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 I suppose, uh, golden time when it really was a very tough uh, uh, a country. It had very clear laws. It was definitely black and white. And uh, if if you didn't fit in either, there was a, there was a real complication. And we saw those massive protests eventually um, bear fruit because we did see the arrival of Mandela. We saw the arrival of uh, the then reigning government saying, "Our time has come, and we're going to step down." That was almost unbelievable when it happened. So again, here we are. Things can happen, but there's got to be a will, hasn't there? Always a will. Yeah, there always has always has to be a will, and there has to be, you know, you hear criticism, for example, of people such as Craig Foster because he is out and about advocating mm. on human rights issues. But frankly, someone has to do that. Correct. Um, it's like you know. Ten years ago, I was advocating almost alone in the world, and particularly alone in Australia, about the need for governance change at FIFA. I was the first one who actually put those words together around the world. And um, but someone has to do it. Do you make enemies at this at that time? Yes, you do. Yeah. Um, but is it worthwhile when change happens? Yes, it is. And so, you know, those those who sit back on their sofas and criticise people who dare to, to raise questions or raise an issue or advocate for something better or advocate for change, they're not even worth listening to, frankly. And I'd give me a give me a million Craig Foster. <laughs> You've actually got Craig uh, at a at a fair play publishing a weekend, haven't you? It's a big event coming up in the next few weeks. Yeah, it's broader than Fair Play Publishing. It's the Football Writers Festival. Ah, it's an opportunity ah, okay. for writers, authors, readers, thinkers, dreamers to get together. And, um, you know, the way Writers Festivals works are, you know, they we gather around books and things that have been written and talk about some of the the big and small issues in the sport. Chew so the it's a great program and chew, Craig chew, is one of the speakers. Chew, chew the fat, talking about the, the yes. game that we love. Um, when When is it on? 
Uh, it's March the 25th to the 27th at Jamboree. Um, that Jamboree is the, I guess, the spiritual home of, of Johnny Warren. There's a Johnny Warren yeah, football yeah. Uh, museum. Um, it's a it's a room full of Johnny Warren memorabilia, and um, you know we've got uh, some greats of the game coming along, as well as people such as well, Craig's also a great of the game, isn't he? But yes. we've we've got people such as um, Cozzy and Gary Cole. Yeah. Um, uh, we've got Professor John Maynard, who's written several books, including about football, and he's currently writing another one. Uh, we've got Dr. Hunter Fujak, who yes, wrote a terrific book on Code yeah. Wars. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Very there's a good. whole whole range of issues being discussed and, uh, and uh, a, a great program ahead. I was just going to say, uh, Gary Cole, for me, has is a remarkable story. He's, he's someone who came into this country as a young man. Uh, his father and the whole family came... Uh, from one end of the world to the other, and he, he's grown. He he brought his game. He he matured his game and kept kept in the game, coached, and of course then reinvented himself as an administrator and as someone who dearly dearly loves the game. And we're now seeing him helping the coaches go to the next level. So uh, it's going to be interesting to to get down there. Twenty fifth to the twenty seventh um, of March at Jamboree. That's correct. And can I just add one point to that, George? And, and that is, I, I think the more former players, you know, um, they're very similar to Gary in that they, a lot of them want to be involved in helping others. And, you know, one other person that I should have mentioned who will be there and who, who's written probably one of the best sporting autobiographies I've ever read, and that's Andy Bernal um, with Riding Shotgun. You know, and Andy desperately wants to help people in the game and desperately wants to help people in Canberra, for example, which is his hometown. Um, and I think, you know, people like that who have so much experience, um, both on the field and off the field, and have so much to offer, um, we, we should be taking advantage of, of all of them. Touche. Andrew Bernal's story alone. Uh, we've had him on air. And uh, look, it's hard to believe some of the stories. They're just so, they're so magnificent. So colourful, and uh, yeah. what a time! Yeah. What a time to be where he was, uh, with the people and the and the opportunities that that came his way. Great book, well done. And there's going to be some great stories coming out of that. Uh, Benita, thank you so much for joining us and talking about some of the uh, the big issues in in world football. And we uh, look forward to the Football Writers Festival. That's a pleasure. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, George. No worries at all. Benita Messiati is joining us on State of Our Football Nation. Uh, Jason Pine. Tony Tannis and Benita Mercedes. Uh, a busy program. Thanks very much for joining us. Busy indeed, George. Uh, if you missed any of that, you can catch up on the podcast platforms. But we've got a uh, we've got a live broadcast coming up this weekend. Uh, tell me about it. So Fitzroy City have got us to uh, come down and do their FFA Cup match or Australia Cup. Oh, as I was just going to say, when do we actually move it on to Australia Cup? It's, it's, it's now year. official, isn't it? It's it's official, Australia Cup, even uh, if some of the uh, the websites need changing <laughs> still, I, I, I notice. Uh, but I'm very much looking forward to calling that one alongside Damir Kulash um, at Kevin Bartlett Reserve on Saturday. It's a 5pm kickoff. And the women are playing straight afterwards in the Nike FC Cup as well. Uh, so, uh, yeah, you, looking forward can, to that. Can, have you got enough time this weekend? You've got a huge affair coming up at Lakeside tomorrow night. It's it's almost yesteryear being given this huge uh, recast uh, at Lakeside. It's South Melbourne, the home side, up against the Melbourne Knights. <laughs> Oh, man, it is back to the future, isn't it? Yes, indeed. I, look, I think this is a special year for this game, 
particularly just with the national second division on the horizon. Uh, those clubs have both recruited really well. Um, Melbourne Knights had a bit of a reality brick to the face uh, last Friday against Avondale where they, they lost 3-0, even if they had a man advantage for about an hour. So I'm sure there will be big changes to their, their selection coming into this one, whereas South Melbourne have started the season perfectly. Two wins from two, um, and uh, they've knocked off two good sides in Heidelberg and Bentley. Just before I leave you, uh, can you very quickly, from what you've seen already, the top three who who are likely to finish at the very top end of the competition? Let's see how good a judge you are, and we'll Gee. and we'll pull this up at the end of the year. I think I think Avondale will be up there again. Still, still so good. And they had five players out, and they still beat the Knights three 0 So it just shows you the depth Ouch. and quality of, okay. their, of their team. So Avondale, I think Green Gully look good. I'm not sure if they'll be top three, but I really like the look of their recruitment this okay. season. They've signed Noel Bernarda, um, okay. who's who starred for Dandy Thunder and um, and Hume City and had trials in, at various A-League clubs, the Argentinian. Uh, he looks great, and they've brought a couple of uh, A-League or ex-A-League prospects in uh, in Josh Hope, who's returning to football, which is great to see, and uh, Gianluca Iannucci, uh, who was at City and, and then Victory. Um, they, they look terrific. I don't, I don't know if they'll be top Top three good, but they're they're up there. And I, so Avondale, I, Green Gully, and I actually think South Melbourne look pretty good. Ooh. You know they're still they're still playing a few too many long balls to Harrison Sawyer, who's their towering target man. Well, we if you've got Chris... a towering target man, what do you think you're going to do? Well, I Play think I think that the temptation is too strong to lump it okay. to Harry Sawyer's head. I hear, I hear. This season they've got more. Uh, attacking players around him so that when he wins a flick on or a knockdown, it actually falls to somebody. So it's a sound enough strategy, but I think they need to add another couple of strings to their bow just in terms of the variety of that. Because if Sawyer gets injured, suddenly the whole game plan falls apart if that's what you're relying on. You but at the moment, it's working. Call. You just make a phone call. Josh Kennedy out of retirement. <laughs> well, he's working for Football Victoria now, <laughs> yeah, so he's yeah. down the road. Well, I was going to say... Uh, I'll hold you to that. We'll see how it goes. Uh, Josh Parrish joining us as he does each and every Thursday on State of Our Football Nation here on FNR. You're listening to the State of Our Football Nation on FNR.